Welcome, everyone. It's, it's Pride Week, and I think Pride Week is, fits us very well. Everybody's welcome. We're happy to see you. However you're celebrating, it's a long weekend. I hope you've had a chance to spend some time with family, enjoy the weather. We're relaunching. And as Jeff said, this is usually kind of a quiet weekend for us because it's the last long weekend of summer. So uh, it's been a long summer, though. So we're like, oh, well, maybe we're all feeling we've had enough summer. There'll be snow soon. And you'll say, we didn't have enough summer. We have a number of things, though, coming up. And I think that's important because it really is the start of our new year here at Friends Church. So we have a community lunch coming up just in two weeks. If you haven't seen some faces in a while or if you're looking to connect with people, this is just a great opportunity to come out, connect. We have a ton of communities, small groups that are launching, everything from gaming groups to discussion groups to men's groups to women's groups. And just go onto your app, and that is just a really good, good way to see what's coming up and how could you get involved. Your app's also a really good way to donate. So we need your financial support to get us through this next season, as we always do, and we appreciate your support. And we're all part of this. So, you know, your dollars go to really good causes and, and create really good mornings so that we can go out of here and be just a little bit better in the world. Isn't that a, a really nice way to maybe spend the long weekend? Let's get out and be a little bit better. Vince? Thanks, Trevor. Um, just before I start, I just want to give a big shout out to Coffee Culture. Uh, it's this little place. They had a drag show on Friday that was top notch. If you're ever looking for a drag show, I can't recommend that one enough. Okay, let me take a step back. Um, I don't know about you, but I kind of thought 9-11 was going to be the big moment of my generation. You know, all these people killed this horrific terrorist event, and then the pandemic hit. We spent the last couple months, actually, trying to figure out, trying to, to look, how does one come out of something of this scale? How do we come back? And the first thing we realize is you don't come back to the old normal. It's not there anymore. Pre-pandemic doesn't exist. So coming back isn't this sense of, oh, okay, we're back to what we knew. It's not there. I've been through a divorce. Every time someone comes and talks to me who's going through a divorce, the first thing I say is, there is no going back. You have to find a new normal, a new reality. It'll have some flavors of the past, but it won't look the same. And if that's your expectation, good luck. But as we look through this, we've looked at our spiritual ancestors through this lens of this thing called Alia coming back. And we realize that first, there's, there's no normal to go back to. There's only going to be a new normal. And coming back to the new normal, chances are it's not just going to be like that. It's going to take time and effort. And as we looked at this whole series, one of the questions I kept asking myself over and over again is, what's going on? What's going on in our world? Why are people so angry? Why am I short? You know, little things bother me. I'm like, Wah. 
Why do we have this sense of people feeling lonely? Jeff and, and Emily talked about it last week, the sense of not belonging. Actually, he talked about it with Heather too. This, this sense of we're lonely, and what are we doing about being lonely? Staying at home and doing nothing. Why in the world would we think that that helps? When I looked at this, we did a little mini-series on homosexuality as it tied to the Bible. One of the things I saw over and over again was this one common theme. I reached out to our, our queer community who's part of our community and said, hey, tell me what you experienced with the church in your past, present. What I heard over and over again was this. They're threatened by me, and I am threatened by them. They still have this sense that is friend church okay? You say you guys are welcoming, but like, are you welcoming? Are you going to kick me out? I finally started to put down roots. I started connecting with people. I started being open. And I'm so worried about this threat of you guys kicking me out. And that's when I realized the common theme that we're all dealing with right now is this idea of threat. Remember social distancing? What is social distancing? It's saying every person you don't know is a threat to you and you need to stay away from them. And if they're not a threat to you, you're probably a threat to them. Masking. The very breath coming out of someone's mouth can kill you. There's this part of our brain called the amygdala. Its job is to look for threat. It has been going hard the last couple of years. I actually tried to look this up, that if you work out a part of your brain really heavily, does it grow like a muscle? Because in case, like, our brains would have this big amygdala-like bulb sticking out the side, right? Because that's the common thing about this whole coming back. We're coming back from a heightened state of threat. The pandemic was just a big old threat bomb thrown on top of everything else that we deal with. Now, for those of you who are new to Friend Church, I'm going to throw a truth bomb on you. I am not special. I probably do more stupid things than you ever will. So if you're looking for someone who's got their, pardon my French, but shit together, it's not me and Jeff. Sorry, Jeff. Jeff probably does, but <laughs> I make more stupid mistakes. So the other day, I'm sitting with my wife, and we actually we're on holidays, and, I, and I, I said something to her in kind of a moment of thoughtlessness. I'm not going to tell you the details because it's stupid and you wouldn't understand. But it was this moment where I was trying to transcend this old pattern of my life that's not healthy. But if you've ever done this, you know you're not that skillful. This is like your first time trying to do something. And this is what I did. Instead of beautifully reaching out to my wife in this beautiful, skillful manner, I basically just poked her amygdala right in the eye. And what does her amygdala do after a year of pandemic, after a year of all this? This is the part where you think, oh, she's perfect, so she just reacts perfectly, right? No. She blows up. And then if I was, you know, well-rested and eaten and fully aware of myself, I could have realized, oh, her amygdala is freaking out here a little bit. I should maybe check in on that. Just as a side note, do you guys know when your amygdalas are freaking out? Do you? 
I'll give you a hint. If your emotional reaction ever transcends the moment, like it's bigger than it should be, yeah, that's your amygdala. I was in grade, I was, uh, for a year I was a teacher's aide in grade six. A little kid, great little kid, but he had some <laughs> behavioral challenges is I think the nice way of saying it. And so I, I usually sat with him and helped him in grade six, but for some reason, the teacher said, Mr. Clausen, can you give me a hand? Oh, yeah, of course. Can you come up to the front? Yeah, of course, go up to the front. She says, the kids are going to say words, and I want you to write them on the board. I still remember, suddenly my entire body was sweating. My face started to glow, it was so red. And you're all looking at me like, you see, the teacher wanted me to write words on the board. I can't spell. You think it's funny, but like I really can't spell. Like Boggle, that game, I have no clue. I have a master's degree, I'm standing in front of a bunch of grade sixers, and I'm so nervous that they're going to see that I can't spell that I'm freaking out. My amygdala is like, you need to get out of here. Like, I don't know, fake a stroke, something, just run. Sweating. <laughs> My hands are shaking. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I could have just said like a million things. Oh, I'm not really good at spelling, folks. So we're just going to mark Twain the crap out of this. You know, one way to spell things is just too small of a mind. There should be many ways to spell things. Work with me here, kids. I'm an adult. You're kids. No, my amygdala is having none of that. It is freaking out. What's the thing that makes you freak out like that? And it can just show hands to give me some. Anyone bad spellers out there? Can you please put up your hand? Oh, thank you. I love you all. Anyone bad at math where if they said you have to go up there and do math on the board? You're like, oh, I'm starting to sweat already. Walk in a room where there's a bunch of strangers. Does that make you sweat? Uh-huh. I'm walking down an alley when the light's getting a little dark. We're going to go deeper into this because once you understand what part of you gets threatened when your amygdala freaks out, this will help you tremendously. Uh, I don't know if I told Jeremy to throw up. Did you get the slide of the spiritual journey model? Sorry, I forgot to tell him. I... My bad. Imagine in your mind, if you would, a spiritual journey model that says, I, them, we, but underneath all of that is awareness. If you want to be on a spiritual journey, don't think you go to the top without awareness. Do you know, are you aware of what freaks out your amygdala? If you are alone in your, living by yourself in a cabin in the woods and you never see another human being, you don't need to know this. If you ever talk to another human being, if you live with another human being, if you see another human being, this is important stuff to know. So there's me and my wife. I've just poked her amygdala right in the eye. It freaks out. It's looking for threat, right? She's sweating, face red. I am the threat to her. So what does she do? She protects herself, fires right back. Well, now she poked my amygdala in the eye. You can see how that's going to go, right? I was trying to understand this reaction that we have. You see it all through the world right now. Anger, 
shortness. There's a story from our spiritual ancestors. I'll give you the quick overview. Nation of Israel, they are slaves to Egypt, common back in those days. But slavery, if you think about it, is somebody else owns your life. In the pandemic, the government told me I shouldn't do certain things, certain personal liberties. I didn't love that, but, you know, whatever. Slavery is, I get to tell you what to do, I get to beat you when I want, and if I don't like you, I can kill you because I own you. What do you think their amygdalas are feeling right then? Weird circumstance. They get freed from Egypt. They start going away. All of a sudden they realize the Egyptians have changed their mind. They've sent the army after them to kill them all. They have this moment of like, we're free. Holy crap. Right? They're amygdalas. You can just feel them, right? They go into the wilderness. There's no food. There's no water. It's just threat after threat after threat. And now they're standing at a, there's a, a, a river. And on the other side of the river is this thing called the promised land. You kind of get what's going on by what we tell it, right? The promised land. It's a place where we're going to be safe. It's a place where we're going to have everything we need. We're not going to be owned by anyone. There's not going to be any threat. The promised land. The new normal. The thing that is going to be after the pandemic. And they're standing on the edge. And the leader says, we're going to send 12 people to go reconnoiter the land. See what's going on in there. So they send 12 spies over. They come back 40 days later. Just as a note, anytime there's a 40 in the Bible... It's not an actual number. It's a number that has meaning. So they spent 40 days in this new place. It means there's something of God in this. They come back, two spies. Like, actually, all the spies were like, this is incredible. Like, we've come through the desert. This place is lush. They actually, one describes, they carried, they put a stick through a branch of grapes. They were so big, and two people had to carry them. Could you imagine going from food, food scarcity to check out what grows naturally here? Beautiful. The promised land. Ten of the spies. no. We have to be kind to them. They've just come out of slavery. They've just had an army try and kill them. They've just tried to exist in a desert where they almost starved to death and ran out of water. They're not doing well. Their amygdalas are pretty freaked out. And those 10 spies whose amygdalas are running the show say, oh yeah, they might have some fruit in there. But there's giants in the land. The first two spies were more calm. They're like, oh yeah, they're tall people. They're like Swedish. You know, Swedish people are tall, right? I think they're tall. I'm going to say they're tall. Swedish. That's not how our amygdalas work. They don't say, hey, they're a little tall. We should maybe be a little careful. They say there's giants. Big scary giants that are going to kill us. And then in a moment of beautiful amygdala logic, and this is the stuff your amygdala will do, the ten spies are like, we can't go into the promised land. We should go back to Egypt and be slaves where we were safe. That's a joke, people. You're getting how ridiculous your amygdalas are? 
Let's go back to where someone can beat you and kill you without even having a comment. They can just do it. Because that feels safer. Amygdala logic. The amygdala doesn't tell you the truth. That's not its job. Your amygdala's job is to keep you safe. And if it has to say that that tall person's a giant that's going to eat you, that's going to kill you, oh, it'll say that all day long. When I poked my wife's amygdala, I became the scary giant. When she responded, she's this little, you guys know my wife, she's like five foot nothing, spicy. All of a sudden, I'm scared shitless of her. Pardon my French, but like, I am petrified. She holds my very soul in her hands, and her reaction was so threatening to me that I'm freaking out and going like, how dare, you know, I'm looking at her like she's a giant. This scary giant. That's how our amygdala works. Look through the pandemic and see where you saw giants, big, scary giants. Look through your life right now and see where the people you love and the people you connect with are seeing big, scary giants. And suddenly, certain behaviors make sense, doesn't it? Because the world through our amygdala is a scary place. And if that wasn't enough, <laughs> We got this like normal human interaction, then we have this pandemic that's been thrown on top of that, threat, amygdala, freaking out, giants everywhere. You're like, oh, you're not wearing a mask and you're just, eh. There's this part of us called our attachment systems that's basically a big threat system. And I'll explain it to you this way. There's a researcher named Stan Tack and he describes three sets of attachment systems. You have an attachment system, you're probably one of these. Calls them anchors, islands, and waves. You don't need to remember this, but I'll explain it to you. The way to understand your attachment system is this. Close your eyes for a quick second and imagine you're two years old. You're wearing a diaper. I don't know, do two-year-olds wear diapers? Does anyone know that? I don't have kids, so what do I know? Yep, we got a thumbs up over there. Two years old, wearing a diaper. You're hanging out in a room with your mom, your actual mom. Not the perfect mom, your actual mom. And you're playing with some toys. And there's a stranger in the room. Can you feel the stranger? Your mom's talking to the stranger, so she seems okay, but... Mm. Now, the experiment is run... They actually run this experiment with actual two-year-olds. I'm not sure how you can do that ethically, freak two-year-olds up, but whatever. They do it. So now you're two years old, close your eyes, imagine you're there, and suddenly they flash a light and it's your mom leaves now. You're in the room alone with a stranger and you're two years old. What are you feeling? Two of the three attachment styles start crying. Duh. You're in a scary room with a stranger who you don't know, and your mom just left. Crying makes sense, right? The third one gets quiet. Really quiet. 
when you watch videos, the kids actually often get a little bit smaller. They'll shrink their bodies a bit. It's like the world around them isn't even there. They don't even notice their mom's gone. At least this is what they, they act like. They turn inside themselves. Technically, this is called self-soothing. Self-soothing is a very important skill. We all need to be able to do this. The problem is, these people, they're called islands, they only use this. They put them in a deliberately scary position, something that any kid would cry in, but an island goes inside themselves, and they soothe, they get quiet. Now, why am I telling you this? Because your attachment system from your childhood is still with you right now. It's still running part of your life. And chances are, you're not aware of it. You see, when I asked something from my wife, that was my attachment system speaking. And when she reacted the way it did, oh, my, my attachment system did not like that at all. It saw that as a massive scary giant that's gonna eat me alive. Islands tend to be quiet people. We want a lot of alone time. Can you already tell I'm switching to first-person language? <laughs> I tend towards the islandy side. We don't have a lot of emotions. We don't like a lot of emotions. When people come up to us with this big like, bah! we're like, how about you go and spend some time by yourself and calm down, and then we can talk about this rationally. I remember I was doing a, a wedding rehearsal, and the couple, they had this kind of the, the, the vow moment, and I had them stand up to act it out because they wanted to see what they were gonna do. And they did this, and they, they held both each other's hands, right, like this. They're standing well, this far apart. They're rehearsing their wedding vows with the person they love most in the world. They should be full on love hormones right now. Freak, you know, their partner's perfect, everything's perfect. The guy in this moment, as soon as I get them into this position, he starts cracking fart jokes. Fart jokes. He's an adult. <laughs> his wife, well, at this point, his fiance is looking at him like, you, you know, and I'm looking at him going, dude, like, what are you doing? And he, it's like he can't stop. It's like he's got, like, this impulsive, this almost like Tourette's sense of he can't stop cracking jokes. Until I realized, oh, that's your attachment nervous system that's freaking out right now. Your wife standing physically close to you doesn't feel good to an island. And he knew he couldn't say, hey, can you back up? Because that's his wife. And I just told him to hold hands that this is their wedding. And socially, that's a no-go. So what does he do? He goes to fart jokes. He doesn't even know what he's doing. I said, okay, just let go of one of your hands. And I want you guys to just turn a little bit so you're standing like this. Instantly, it was fine. Had him turn back. I was like, can you feel that? He's like, oh, Yeah. Like, I love her, but when she stands really close to me, I can just feel my nervous system freaking out. This is what happened. If he was a two-year-old in that room, he's the one who would have calmed down, soothed himself. Islands, we're not very passionate. We're not very emotional. When we're upset, we want to be by ourselves. We do not like people having or making us obligated for something. We're low maintenance. We're like <laughs> low stress. But if you get upset, God, go deal with that 
on your own. Now imagine that playing out. All you islands in the room, and don't, I can see some of you nodding, so I know you're resonating with me. You're walking in a world where there's island giants. People standing too close to you, people getting too passionate with you, people feeling too much around you, people obligating you. The pandemic was actually easier for the islands because people had to stay away from us. It didn't make us better partners, that's for damn sure. Okay, go back. Two years old with your mom. Your mom leaves. The other two groups cry. Of course, you're two. Your mom just left you with a stranger. The right answer is you're going to cry. A couple minutes later, the person sends back your mom. I, here's what it is. The anchors who have the least amount of giants that they're scared of. They walk through the world with a, I'm jealous of them, a minimal amount of giants from their attachment system. The world's not scary to them. In fact, this message came out of me realizing that the anchors, they see the world through a lens that says if something goes wrong, it's going to get fixed. You see, when the mother comes back in with an anchor child, the mom's like, oh, hey, baby, come here. You know, I'm going to do my best mother impression here. Come here. Oh, ba- I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Mommy left you. Yeah, that's scary. And, you know, the kid's like, you can't even, you know, blah, blah, blah. The mom's like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm so sorry. Two minutes later, they're playing together. All is forgotten. That kid's nervous system is repaired. Going forward, they don't live with the same attachment giants that other people do. Scary, scary things. They see the world as a safe place, as a place that's going to fix us. When they hurt us, they're going to take care of that. The last group, the waves. When the mother comes back in, the wave is crying. Of course, they're scared. But they don't stop crying. Their nervous system is such that they don't think their mom's going to be able to fix this. So they cry louder and harder. Whatever the mom does to try and calm them, their nervous system is having none of it because it feels so painful that they were left alone. And their giant is, you're going to leave me alone again. I just know it. And as you come into adulthood, (laughs) chances are if you're wave, you read a lot of Brene Brown. Because she's got that part of our lives dialed in. She understands the giants of the wave. You're going to leave me alone. I'm not enough. There's something wrong with me. I live in shame. And sometimes the waves will be like, screw you, mom, get away from me. Like, and you'll do the same thing as an adult. You say to your friend, you kind of blow up and like, you don't even like me. And secretly, you're like, no, no, I want you to fight back and be like, no, no, I love you. I will not go anywhere. But again, these are the giants. I was talking to one husband. He's like, Vince, me and my partner had this massive blowout. And then he tries to explain to me, you know, I said this, and she said this, and I said this. And and I was like, oh, wait, this sounds like amygdala stuff. This sounds like giants, scary giant stuff. I said, what happened just before the fight broke out? 
uh, I don't know. I goes, oh, yeah, that's right. It was Tuesday. I was going out with my buddies. We have this, like, lunch we do every Tuesday. So I was going to go out with my buddies. I was like, do you know your wife? He's like, what's the problem? I do this every week. If your wife has a wave nervous system, you leaving her alone feels like a big scary giant. He's like, well, I thought you'd like alone time, says the island to the wave. It's like, go back in your life. Remember your big fights. When did they happen? He's like, oh. Before every business trip we seem to blow out. Every time I go out golfing with my buddies, we have a moment. Almost all the time on Tuesday mornings before I go out with my buddies to have lunch, which I do every week. It's like, are you picking up the giants your partner has? She feels your absence like a big scary giant. And you walking out the door is poking her amygdala right in the eye. So here we have these moments of, I'm going to be gentle with myself and say lack of skillfulness where you say something stupid to your partner and they freak out and say something back to you and added on top of that we have the giants that we call the pandemic social distancing you know people are scared you can get sick at any time on top of that we have this whole attachment system that's running our lives all the time there's giants everywhere We're walking through this minefield of giants. We see them, no one else sees them, but we're freaking out all the time. The people around you, freaking out all the time. There's giants everywhere. It's not safe. How do we come back from that? How do we come back from that way of thinking? I was at a class a couple years ago. I don't actually know how long. Let's say in the last 10 years-ish, plus or minus. My brain doesn't timestamp things. So to me, it felt like yesterday, but it could have been 10 years ago. I don't know. The other day. Class, it was by a a researcher named uh, Alison Armstrong. If you're a straight couple, I cannot recommend her work enough. I've never worked with gay couples to see if if it translates well, but whatever. If you're straight... Alison Armstrong, worth the read. We're taking a class. She has a facilitator that she's trained. It's not actually Alison Armstrong. And the lady has us pair up. I'm there with 10 other guys, complete strangers, have no clue who they are. Some dude walks up to me. I remember him being short, kind of like heavy set, higher voice. That's all I remember. And we've been spending this whole weekend working on awareness of where are the giants in your life? Where are the big scary things that you need to deal with? She says, okay, I want you to pick a scary thing in your life, a moment that still sits with you. It can be from yesterday. It can be from your childhood. And the guy across from me, it's his turn. He nods. He's like, oh, I got one. She says, on a scale of one to 10, how big is the impact on you currently? He said, eight out of 10. 
This was something from his childhood. He was an adult. And that moment was still impacting him. He was still seeing giants all around him at an eight out of 10. And he's not alone. Chances are we'll each go through our lives and we can find a moment that still impacts us. The lady said, here's what you need to tell your partner. Who? He said, it was Sylvia, my mom. What happened? It's the only thing you need to know. Who and what happened? He said, every time I cried when I was a kid, she sent me to my room. Can you see the island behavior? Your emotions are too big. I can't deal with them. Go to your room. But his nervous system, what did he need? His mom to calm him. It's okay. It's okay, buddy. Come here. Instead, he was sent to his room. And that being sent to his room in that wave style was still this giant that scared him to death. I'm thinking to myself, lady, we are screwed if you need me to fix this. Because first, I don't even know this dude. I wasn't there when this happened. (laughs) I'm an island. I just want to go and have some quiet time and calm down. And she says, okay, here's what you need to do. You're going to say this sentence to your partner. I'm sorry that Sylvia, your mother, sent you to your room every time you cried. I remember him. It's like his, he didn't know what to do with that. She said, I just want you to keep, I'm just keep repeating it. I am so sorry that Sylvia, your mother, sent you to your room every time you cried. The emotions start coming up in him. I am so sorry that Sylvia, your mother, sent you to your room every time you cried. She said, check in and see if the language needs to be tweaked. He's like, it wasn't, she didn't send me to room. She shoved me into my room. Okay? I am so sorry that Sylvia, your mother, shoved you into your room every time you cried. All of a sudden, his body just released. You could see it physically. I am like basically grade one with emotions. I have no clue what to do in this moment, right? I'm freaking out. All of a sudden I see him. I can see it. The island in Vince can see it. All of a sudden it's just like he's free. It's like this massive weight just came off him. And the the facilitator says, okay, on a scale of one to 10, how much does that moment impact you right now? He's like three, no, two, two, heading to a one. Now, if you're a wave, this feels sketchy to you. Because the wave is like, in fact, the reason I'm doing this message is because I heard a podcast that said the core identity of a wave in an island is no one's going to fix this. No one's going to take care of me. No one's going to repair the damage that was done. I have to live with that. That's the part of you. That's the giant in your brain that's saying, no, 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 that can't happen. No, it's not going to work. And yet, I am so sorry that Bill, your pastor, 
kicked you out of your church community when they figured out you were gay. I'm so sorry that John, your boss, tried to make you into something that you're not. I'm so sorry that the government through residential schools hurt you by trying to take away your culture. I'm so sorry that Trudeau, our prime minister, is behaving in a way that doesn't resonate with what you need in this world. I'm so sorry, whatever the name, what happened. Can you feel the difference? We're in a world run by f- running away from giants. We're scared of giants. The pandemic just made it worse. But if Alison Armstrong's research is right, and I've seen it time and time again, we can actually heal the world. We can say to those spies, I am so sorry that your owners back in Egypt treated you so poorly. I'm so sorry that you feel like your leaders don't care about you. And suddenly the giants, the scary giants, start to look like tall Swedish people. And then look like short Swedish people. And then cute little Swedish people. Oh, I used to be scared of that one. (laughs) It's cute. There's this line from the Christian tradition. It's called the Great Commission. Go into all the world. And it's, it's normally translated, preach the gospel. When I studied in Greek, the, the translation's really awkward there. As I was working on this message, I realized, oh, that's what's going on. You see, gospel actually means something different. It means good news. Used to be when someone came and said, we won the war, that, that was the gospel. The good news is we won. But good news is actually something that we do. We can be good news. This is creating heaven on earth. This is what Friend Church is about, being good news. Not telling someone good news, being good news. But then I realized, oh, wait a second. Keruso, that word that we translate preach, means to proclaim or to do in words. And then I realized, we can heal the world with our words if we're willing. We can say, I am so sorry that Sylvia, your mom, shoved you into your room every time you cried. And we can start to heal their attachment giants until they're cute little Swedish people. We can take complete strangers. The person behind you in line who's, you can tell, they're so frustrated. It's like, I'm so sorry people haven't honored your time. Can you feel the difference between, what's your problem? I was going to swear a lot there. (laughs) Can you feel the difference? I am so sorry people haven't honored your time today. (sighs) Ninja level quickly. Chances are if someone criticizes you about something, they're speaking about a giant that they're scared of. But it comes out ugly. 
if you're ninja level, you can have the awareness of them to realize, oh wait, this isn't about me. Yeah, it's about me, but it's not about me. You never cleaned the house. I'm so sorry that you feel like you have to carry the weight of our family on your shoulders. You never, I am so sorry that that's your experience of life. Now, if you do what I do, you're just going to react and, like, justify and tell them that they're actually wrong and, well, you don't clean out, you blah, blah. Proclaim, speak good news. We can heal the world with our words. As Joe was singing, I kept hearing things like putting up a mirror. Isn't that what I did to the guy? I'm so sorry that this happened to you. I wasn't even there. But I put up a mirror. The song about being hurt, you know where he sang the kind of the lilting, almost anguish of your heart? I was like, oh, that's the giants. The giants that are running our lives. That we can heal for the people around us, if we're willing. My prayer for me and for you is that we are willing. That I can back off from the giants I'm scared of long enough to heal the people around me with my words. To proclaim good news. That's my encouragement for us as we end this coming back series, as we've looked at all the different moments of threat and all the stuff piling on top of piling on top of piling, belonging, pandemic, sexual orientation, you know, you name it. We, I believe, can heal the world. And that's how we find the new normal. There's a, a quote from Dostoevsky I just heard. I said, man, I'm going to butcher it, but man is responsible for what they do. But man is also responsible for what everyone else does around them. And I realized, oh, that's this. I didn't hurt him when he was a kid. His mom did. But I can take responsibility and heal that if I'm willing, if you're willing. My prayer is that you're willing. In fact, my prayer is that I'm willing. Have a great week, everyone. We're starting a new series next week, Searching for a Meaningful Life. Whenever you come out of something big, you have a moment where you can just fall back into the rut, try to find the old normal again, or you can say, there's a new normal, and I get to author it. I get to have intentionality. I get to make something beautiful. I get to do something new. The next series is going to help us find that, each of us uniquely. I invite you back next week. It's going to be a blast. Hopefully it's going to be less hot. Have a great week. If you're going to Pride, stay hydrated, uh, dance hard, and we will see you next week. Take care, everyone.